This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Let me begin this hour with an apology to you. I was informed by Ellen, who is uh, our one of our most attentive listeners, that on Friday, for those of you that listen to the hour-by-hour portion of the podcast, there was one hour which was labeled commendations, when in actuality, it should have been labeled denunciations. Now, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I think perhaps there was this was one of those instances where this exchange program we have with our staff and the staff of Boeing, people switched places for the day, and we had some of the people from Boeing here in charge of the podcast labeling, and we are working to rectify that. It I apologize for the error. But uh, I would love to tell you it will not happen again, but we're all human. We're all doing our best. You claim it has been rectified. It has been rectified. Wow. Well, I apologize to the, for the error nonetheless. So I'm glad it has been rectified. And those of you that were, because you looked at the description and didn't listen because you were expecting to hear me denounce people and instead you heard me commend them and you planned your listening habits today expecting to hear denunciations because you thought we had flipped the script, as it were, on Fridays and Mondays, well, 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 maybe you're in luck, maybe you're out of luck. I'll tell you who's who's in luck is the people that are recipients of this week's... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must commend Wonton Don. I must tell you, I uh, was unfamiliar with the Wonton Don. But he is a reporter, or I don't know if he's a reporter. He's an employee of Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports is basically a media uh, uh, empire. Basically... They're this media outlet that doesn't just cover sports. They cover pizza, a bunch of other things. They have podcasts. They have video. I don't even really... Uh, the only thing I've seen on there that they do is the pizza reviews. But they're very big. They're very popular. 
And this employee, Wonton Don, stopped a guy from jumping out of a plane mid-flight. This is huge. Passengers on this American Airlines flight tackled and duct-taped a man after he tried to open the plane door, forcing the plane to return to Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Chicago-bound air... Excuse me, I had a tickle in my throat. That's what I get for downing some peanut M&Ms during the top of the hour break. Sorry. All right. The Chicago-bound American Airlines Flight 1219 made the U-turn shortly after takeoff, and it landed back at Albuquerque International Airport. But the wonton Don was on the flight and said about 30 minutes in, a man a few rows behind him tried to open the plane's door. So, according to what he tweeted, me and five other dudes had to wrestle him into the aisle, duct tape his legs, and throw flexicuffs on him. Just safely landed back in Albuquerque, but holy blank. He later posted a photo showing the culprit being escorted off the plane by four police officers. So, I commend the wonton Don, as well as all the other people responsible for tackling this... um, Passenger, uh, no word on whether uh, he was trying to do that because they were on a Boeing 737 Max. I want to commend everyone who won a SAG Award over the weekend. I went out to uh, dinner on Saturday, so I didn't get to watch the SAG Awards. But there was a star-studded list of nominees and winners. The big winner was Oppenheimer. I'm not going to go into I'm not going to go into every single one, but Robert Downey Jr. won for actor in a supporting role for Oppenheimer. Divine Joy Randolph won for actress in a supporting role for The Holdovers. I uh, I voted for her for that. I did vote on uh, Friday. Uh, Succession won. The Bear won. The La- uh, Pedro Pascal from The Last of Us won. Uh, but uh, the one of the big winners was was certainly Oppenheimer. So congratulations to everybody that won a SAG award, uh, whether it's movies or television. You know, it's a real nice thing. There's a lot of award shows out there, but there's something special about being selected by your peers, not by fans, not by some mysterious organization like the Hollywood Foreign Press, but by your peers. And uh, I think that's what makes the SAG Awards special. I want to commend Anton Newtonboom. This is the man they call the Dutch Forrest Gump, who right now is walking barefoot across America to raise awareness for men's mental health. I think this is great. First of all, it's an incredible physical feat. He's aiming to beat his own world record by walking 3,000 miles across America completely barefoot. That, in and of itself, would be worthy of a commendation. But I think it's also... By the way, he's on social media as the Barefoot Dutchman, if you want to follow him, in that he's doing this to raise awareness for men's mental health, something that is too often overlooked or ignored by the press. So whatever we can do to raise more attention for that is wonderful. So Anton Newtonboom... I do commend you. I want to also commend a vegan diet. Larry in Brooklyn, are you listening? 
The sleep apnea cure could be as simple as switching to a vegan diet. This is explosive. I know a lot of people that have been afflicted with sleep apnea and have suffered with sleep apnea. Sometimes they have to wear these very cumbersome CPAP machines or some other sort of things. And this, there's an eye-opening new study which suggests that going vegan can actually help prevent sleep apnea. Look, this is great news for the three in four American adults who are afflicted, are afflicted with some sleep disorder symptoms, according to the CDC. Roughly 39 million people in this country, including President Biden, reportedly struggle with the most dangerous of these sleep afflictions, obstructive sleep apnea, where the upper airway becomes blocked while sleeping. And if you have sleep apnea, your breathing will randomly stop and start throughout the night, and you'll also find yourself waking up repeatedly, which contributes to a decline in your sleep quality. So, and by the way, it leads to increased risk of high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, type 2 diabetes. In any event, curing this could be as simple as changing your diet. In one of the very first major studies looking into the idea, published in ERJ Open Research, researchers at Flinders University in Australia found that those on a diet high in vegetables, fruits, grains, and nuts were at far less risk less risk for sleep apnea, nearly 20% less, than those leaning on less healthy foods. The researchers pulled data from 14,000 people, all of whom were participating in a national health and nutrition examination survey. And the survey participants were required to detail what they'd eaten in the last 24 hours and categorized as either healthy herbivores or potentially less healthy meat lovers. And they also quizzed the vegetarians and vegans as to the nature of their diets as well. And they found a statistically significant percentage of the vegans didn't have sleep apnea. Now, this is not a cause and effect type of thing. You could also extrapolate a number of other things, a number of other theories that I could sell from this. I, from One of the things that I've noticed is people who are heavier tend to snore, and people who snore, and this is not, we learned in one of the interviews we did on this, people who snore don't always have sleep apnea, and people who have sleep apnea don't always snore, but it is more likely that you have sleep apnea if you're snoring, and it's more likely that you're going to be snoring if you're overweight. So maybe the people that have the vegan diet are much less likely to be overweight, and that's why they don't have sleep apnea. Maybe there are other steps that you can take. I mean, I don't know that they looked at uh, weight loss that is aided by, say, something like Ozempic. Is it a function of proper body weight, or is it a function of avoiding animal products? I don't know. But until we know, I'm going to go ahead and give that vegan diet a commendation. Well, I want to give a commendation to Chris Farley. No, not that Chris Farley. Not the one from Saturday Night Live who impersonated Andrew Giuliani. Although I was a big fan of that Chris Farley. And he was taken from us at uh, far too young an age. Uh, Chris Farley is uh, basically he the the other Chris Farley is famous for his time on Saturday Night Live. 
But Virginia's Chris Farley has a different claim to fame. For the past 25 years, he has run a marathon every single year. Are you ready for this? In under three hours. Under three hours. That streak seemed to be over this year when he completed the New York City Marathon in just over his annual goal. Then his friends stepped up. Members of the running community organized the NCR Last Chance Marathon on a paved trail in Baltimore County just to give Farley another shot at keeping his streak alive. And he came through. On December 27th, he finished at 2 hours, 57 minutes, and 36 seconds. He told the Washington Post, who did a story on this, I was just relieved and very happy. Can you imagine the athleticism and the, the not only the mental and physical st- strength, but the wherewithal, the strength of will to, for the past 25 years, run a marathon a year? That in and of itself is incredible. But to do it in under three hours every single year? Wow! Wow! I'm in awe of Chris Farley. I want to commend Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan has been ranked by U.S. News and World Report as the city in America, are you ready for this, with the best quality of life. The cities were ranked based on the following factors. Crime rates, quality of education, well-being, commuter index, quality and availability of health care, air quality index, and federal emergency management agency. Congratulations, Ann Arbor. You have the best quality of life in the entire country. I've never been to Ann Arbor, but I've heard great things about it, and I do want to visit. I, I can't wait to see. And you know what else I like about this star- story? Every day I hear about someone that's moving to Florida or that loves living in Florida or how great, you know, Florida is. You know, we were out with um, my cousin-in-law, Alex, yesterday, and he was talking about the money he pays in taxes living in New York versus if he lived in Florida. He said, if I lived in Florida, we wouldn't be taking a car to dinner. We would be taking a helicopter because that's how much more money that I'd have. It's so nice to see some city ranked first that's not in the state of Florida. It's nothing against the state of Florida, but I'm just I'm a little uh, tired of hearing how great it is. Okay, we get it. We get it. Ann Arbor's great, too. And so is Finland. For uh, yet again, Finland has been named the happiest country in the world. Congratulations to the Finnish. I must also commend Mr. Hafiz Naim Yor Rayman, a politician who was declared the winner of an election, but he voluntarily gave up his seat when he learned of election interference on his behalf. This guy is incredible. This was one of the most contentious elections in recent memory in Pakistan for a position in parliament, and they declared this guy the winner. But in an incredible display of honesty and fairness, he gave up the seat to his opponent after discovering significant vote tampering had facilitated the win. 
Can you imagine many people in the United States doing that these days? I can't. So, Mr. Hafiz Naeem, your Rahman, you are not in Parliament, but I do commend you. I must also commend Shaquille O'Neal, a Missouri teen. Big shout out, by the way, to our listeners in uh, in in uh, St. Louis, w, uh, KMOX listening. A teenager in Independence, Missouri, who wears a size 23 shoe, recently got some help from Shaquille O'Neal, who knows what it's like to need some extra room. 16-year-old Jarrell Bolden, named obviously for Superman's father, needs custom-made sneakers, but shoes like that can have a price tag of over $1,000. So... His mom wanted to help him. So she wanted to provide comfortable shoes for her son, so she set up a GoFundMe page that raised $11,000. Their story took on another turn when Jarrell got something very special in the mail from basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal. The gift was more than this teenager had ever imagined. O'Neal had shipped three boxes of new shoes clothes, and other items that he chose out of his own wardrobe. How cool is that? To be able to have Shaquille O'Neal's shoes? Wow. Wow. I mean, that's just incredible. And they still got the $11,000 to buy other stuff. So uh, I think that's a really nice thing that Shaquille O'Neal did. And then lastly, I want to commend and thank my mother's domestic partner, Jim Wisniewski, who um, paid for our dinner on Saturday night. We went out to dinner on Saturday at a great place, and Jim insisted on paying, which was very, very kind. And, you know, everybody in my friend group and my family group knows that this is the time to take me to dinner because during Lent I'm not drinking, and so the bar (laughs) at the restaurant, Phil, becomes much more reasonable. When there's no booze involved, but that was a very nice thing for um, Jim to take my mother and I to dinner at this very nice place, Casa Belvedere, and totally unnecessary, but appreciated, and I do commend you. All right. If you have a comment on anybody that I have commended, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. If you want to connect with other listeners of the show and comment on cyberspace about the things that we're talking about, you can um, go onto uh, Facebook and just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Join the Facebook group. And there's some uh, quirky people in there, but a lot of nice people. And there's uh, a lot of folks that uh, have a lot of opinions about what we're doing on the show. Some people love what we're doing. Some people hate what we're doing. But everybody's listening. So if you're listening, join that Facebook group. Just go there, Morano, M-O-R-A-N-O, radio, fans and haters. And then uh, feel free to share your thoughts on the show. And maybe somebody else will comment on it as well. All right. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 
Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Tainted Love, talking about running away like Flacco did. I still want to know the true story of how Flacco the owl came to escape. Uh, maybe that's one of those mysteries we'll never know, but I feel like eh, that's that's a solvable mystery. I really do. All right. Uh, we're going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222 if you want to weigh in. In the run-up to the Academy Awards, which is now just a couple of weeks away, my wife and I are trying to watch as many of these Academy Award-nominated movies as possible. Sometimes it takes, you know, a couple of sittings. But on Friday, after our son Carmine went to bed, we watched one of the motion pictures that's nominated for several, several awards. Um, it's nominated in 11 categories at the upcoming Academy Awards, including Best Picture. The film is called Poor things so i'll give you the plot briefly but i don't want to give much away it's basically a modern frankenstein story Uh, that's an oversimplification because there's a lot of twists and turns it's not a, a true thing but picture rather than a crazy an eccentric surgeon bringing life to a um uh, ogre-looking man, imagine bringing life to a beautiful woman who is ch- very childlike. That is the basic premise. I don't know if I would how I would categorize it. I guess you could categorize it categorize it as a comedy, but there are elements that are very dramatic or suspenseful. I, I think it is a comedy. I, I think it is a comedy. There are a lot of funny parts to it, that's for sure. The cast of this film is phenomenal. The star of this film is Emma Stone, who I've seen in a lot of things before, and I've always liked. I think she's always good, but uh, very often I kind of feel like she's one of these actresses that's always playing the same role. And look, what's wrong with that? Uh, John Wayne played the same role his entire career, and he was great. Um, Charles Bronson played the same role his entire career, and he was great. She demonstrates so many different layers in this picture. It's incredible. I saw this film after I had voted in the SAG Awards. Had I seen it before I had voted, I would have voted differently. 
in the category of um, best actress. I mean, not that who knows if my vote would have mattered, but I would have voted for her, for Emma Stone. She was phenomenal. Willem Dafoe plays Dr. Baxter, the main surgeon. One of the love interests is played by Mark Ruffalo, who obviously played the Incredible Hulk. He's phenomenal. The acting in this film is the best that I've seen in a long time. Visually, the film is absolutely stunning. It, there are aspects of it that are in black and white. There are aspects of it in color. It is beautiful. It is beautifully shot. It looks like a painting. I thought the story was wonderful. I thought it was so creative, so unique, really compelling, really interesting, not at all predictable. I didn't know where it was going. And I love this picture. I thought this picture was terrific. My wife liked it a lot, too. She said she thought it was well-made, but there are elements of it that can be a little disturbing. And as she, I think she used the the term creepy. So she didn't like it as much as I did. In fact, we had to watch an episode of Frasier so that she didn't go to bed and have nightmares based on some of the things that were in the film. I, I do have to warn you, there is a lot of sex in the film. My sister had warned me about, warned. Um, <laughs> wasn't, I wasn't staying away from it because of that. But uh, she had told me that there was going to be a lot of sex in the film. And I figured, okay, what's a lot of sex? There is a lot of sex. Uh, I like the way the sex is depla- you know, depicted in the film, though. I think at times it's depicted very sensually and how kind of your, your fantasy about what sex is. And then at other times in the film, it's depicted very really realistically. Because let's face it, you know, most of the time sex is not like how you see in the movies. They show both aspects of sexuality in this movie. So if you're somebody that's turned off, I mean, look, there does come a point in the film where it does seem to get a little gratuitous, the sexual content. So if that bothers you, maybe skip it. But if you're not bothered by, you know, some sex in a movie, then I strongly recommend this film. I thought it was the best movie that I've seen in a long time. And in an era where everything is so formulaic and so predictable, it was so refreshing to see a film that was not like anything I had ever seen. So I do recommend it. It's called Poor Things. Based on a book, I've not read the book, but um, I I don't read a lot of fiction, but I am curious about how the book would um, differ from the movie at uh, at all, if if at all, I thought it was really well done. the The acting alone makes it worth seeing, as far as I'm concerned. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Dave is in Minnesota. Hi, Dave. Yeah, good morning, Wave. Morning. Sure, run the gamut of topics. That's that's our story. Up, yeah. Um, if I may. Uh, I've got two things uh, that are, well, one, at, you know, but considering wrestling, and then another one that's enormously important. Sure. Uh, but I went to high school with Jim Bronzel. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he ended up becoming tag teams with uh, you know, Greg Gagne. And uh, Vern Gagne was actually an amazing uh, athlete. He played football. I know. Yeah. Football for the University of Minnesota, and he was a national 
I believe he is light heavyweight national collegiate wrestling champion. You know, when he was, um, when Jim Brunzel was uh, uh, in tag team wrestling, they beat for the tag team championship in the AWA, and you may remember this, the, your former governor, Jesse Ventura, oh, and, yeah. and Adrian Adonis. Yeah, I actually know Jesse. Uh, well, that's great. He comes on the show once in a while. So, yeah, well, his, he's, he's a great, great guy. You know, he, he was a heck of an athlete himself. He oh, was, no, uh, I, absolutely. I, did you hear we had his son Ty on uh, a week or two ago? Did you hear that interview? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't get that one. But, uh, yeah, I know uh, Jesse and his wife. His wife is just a magnificent lady. She's yeah, you know, I've not, I've not spoken with her, but based on what Ty says and what Jesse says, I'm not at all surprised yeah, to Terry, hear that. Yeah, Terry Ventura. Um, uh, 9-11, uh, my wife is a retired analyst from the FBI. 9-11 could have been prevented. There was in- information here in Minnesota and uh, about the guy that was supposed to be the fifth hijacker was in custody in Minnesota and uh, my wife's partner at work. My wife was an analyst, and she worked uh, with Colleen Rowley. And Colleen wanted to interview this guy, uh, and Washington wouldn't let her. Really? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I mean, this is documented. Yeah, no, no. I've, she, I've, I've heard similar stories like this. Well, I know firsthand. Cause I know Colleen Rowley. Like I say, my wife worked with her in the Minneapolis office, and Colleen wrote a book. She, she was so angry. and you know, she, uh, you know, she was basically shunned by the FBI and pretty much, you know, I mean, she did actually get to finish her mm-hmm. term. She worked until she was 50, and then, you know, and then she was pretty much forced into retirement for being honest. You know, um, if you're in contact with her, I'd love to have her on this show. She seems like a really interesting lady. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh she. Oh she. I went to her uh, retirement when she retired from the FBI. I, I went to her retirement party. Wow, uh, that's wild. So uh, you, if you, well, um, she, she, you can get a hold of her. Just you know, Colleen Raleigh, and you know, in Minnesota, look her up. All right. Well, I, I will. Uh, so I, I, I take it that means you will not put us in contact at no, all. No, I can talk to. I don't no, know. it's okay. I, I'll. I, 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 okay. I, I okay. Don't I don't want to give you a homework assignment. I, I, Dave, you were flirting with listener of the week territory there. I will reach out to her. I got her website here. I will reach out to her. Dave, thank you for the call and such a substantive. Yep, she can tell you all about nine eleven. I will reach out to her. Uh, Colleen Rowley, thank you very much. You know, it's interesting that Dave uh, brings up uh, September 11th because do you know what happened 31 years ago today? 31 years ago today was the bombing of the first World Trade Center. And I know a a lot of people in the, uh, not a lot of people, everybody that was alive in the New York area at the time remembers that. And what that was like. I don't know, unlike 9-11, I don't know that that really was, I don't know that people really thought much of that after it happened. Whereas, you know, people still talk about September 11th, decades later, all over the country. I don't believe that was the case in the aftermath of that 1993 World Trade Center bombing. But somebody that was in the 
was in the World Trade Center at the time was my Uncle Carmine, who I was very close to, who was working for Raytheon at the time. And I remember he was he would tell he told me the story at the time of having to walk down all those flights of stairs that were billowing with smoke. And he told me that when he went to blow his nose, the all the mucus that came out of his nose was black because he and everybody else that was walking down all those flights of stairs w- was inhaling so much smoke from that bombing. So w- in 2005, I broke the uh, Guinness World Record for longest live TV talk show marathon. Now, this record's been broken a hundred times since then, and it's, what I did was a blip on the radar screen. But at the time, in 2005, I hosted a 33-hour live TV talk show. Now, training for a talk show marathon is no different than training for a any other type of marathon, marathon race or a marathon swim or a marathon anything. So you have to train. So one of the things that I did to train was I did some dress rehearsals. I didn't just go wake up one morning and say, I'm going to host a 33-hour show. I started by doing a six-hour show. Then I think I did a 12-hour show. Then a a 24-hour show that was not broadcast anywhere. And then I finally did the 33-hour show. So what I did for all these dry runs... The six-hour, the I think I did a 12-hour, and, and again, it's almost 20 years ago. I don't, I don't remember it exactly. But what I did is I scheduled a guest per hour. And my thinking was, if I can talk to one guest for an hour, that's going to be more than I'm going to have for the whole 33 hours. So, obviously, how do you ask someone to sit with you for an hour at odd hours when that's not even going to be on TV. So I turned to friends of mine and family members to basically just talk with me. So one of the people that helped me in 2005 with my training for that show was my Uncle Carmine, who unfortunately passed away, but he and I were very close. I never knew my paternal grandfather, so he was always really like my paternal grandfather. So in 2005, as I was doing this training, I interviewed him, and one of the things we talked about was the World Trade Center. Now, for some reason, I had this tape transferred, and I paid a lot of money to have this tape transferred, but they screwed up a portion of the audio. So I'm going to play for you what he had to say about the about the World Trade Center and being in that building in February 26th of 1993. But what happens was... What happens is you'll hear me or you'll hear him, and it sounds normal. It sounds normal. And then all of a sudden, my voice will get high all of a sudden or it'll get low all of a sudden. That's just the way the transfer works. I mean, I have to uh, I have to get it retransferred if I could. If I have the original tape somewhere, but finding the time to do it and the money to pay someone to transfer it takes some time. So. But you'll get the gist of what he's saying. I thought this was so interesting. And uh, on the anniversary of that 1993 World Trade Center bombing, strikes me as as an opportune time as any to play it. So this is me interviewing my Uncle Carmine in, in 2005 about events that took place in 1993 in an interview that never aired on television. I had uh, this girl, Norman, I worked with me. And... Uh... We were doing our work, and all of a sudden, the building shook. We, Your building, we too. Felt, yeah, we felt the vibration. So Norma got very nervous. Mm-hmm. So I said, 
Irma, keep working. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> because we used to hear certain things. And right. then sometimes the building swayed. And you have a very sort that. of go with the flow attitude. Yeah, let things happen. Keep working. Don't worry about <laughs> it. But all, then all of a sudden, you started to smell some stuff because the smoke was going up the shafts. Because we were on 78, which was the, money, the, the sky lobby. And you could see there in our monitor there where the World Trade Centers, uh, where, where the World, World Trade Center yeah. and Twin Towers were. Uh, well, we, we went out into the lobby and it was all this smoke and everything. So we went back in our office. And I had, uh, I had about eight or nine computer uh, key punch girls that were working for me at that time. And some of them were asthmatic like I am. So we got a little worried that the smoke was going to start bothering Had there been any announcement or anything like that we made at this time? Nothing at all. Nothing? Nothing at all from wow. the beginning. And then uh, I would say at least about an hour later. Well, halfway we decided to stop moving down. Mm -hmm. The fireman And still, no word of any announcement. No word. And, uh, so you started walking down the stairs. We started walking down. We had flag We got a couple of flashlights, and it was dark in the hallways. Now the, the, the second one, they put lights in after that. Mm. It was dark. Firemen were coming up. Barely could make it because 78 floors carrying their equipment. They pretty basic. So we, we walked down in the chain of people. And that's how we got out. So, I mean, again, I'm sorry about the audio being distorted, but it's not me who distorted it. It's the people that I paid to transfer this tape from DVC Pro to another format. But isn't that interesting that he, he, there was never any announcement from the building after the building was bombed? Nothing saying leave the building, nothing saying anything, really. Basically leaving people to wonder on their own what they should do when they see the hallways billowing with smoke. Um, so uh, I know a lot of you listening were probably involved with that at the time, but uh, it was uh, really a, a really frightening thing for the people that worked in that building or were visiting that building. And we saw clearly it was a harbinger of things to come for what occurred just a few years later. All right. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Joe is in North Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, good evening, Frank. I mentioned about frightening. Uh, I was working in 93 uh, for a van delivery service out of Little Ferry. I had a small van, gray uh, lettering on the side. So I was shocked. I was uh, told to go to the Trade Center and uh, make a delivery there. <laughs> it was like three weeks later after the bombing, and you, uh, you really got me out of bed to say this. And uh, uh, I don't tell everybody in the family even. I just mention a wife and friends. But I was under there. I drove through. I'm under the World Trade Center. <laughs> and it, you know the scenes on the moon, like it's dark. Well, they were. it was like on the, on the moon. It, I was in... I couldn't believe it. Lights hanging from the ceiling. There was like debris. I, I can't even believe it. I would. It was like on the moon, Frank. I couldn't really wow. believe that. It was unbelievable. I made my delivery. I just looked to the right, and it was just lights hanging. I didn't see many people moving, but uh, you said how trouble. long? You said how long was it after the attack? Uh, it couldn't have been more than three weeks. Three, I, I so it was still in uh, in a bad way three weeks la after the attack. Uh, 
well, it could have been two weeks. Uh, not sure, but yeah, it was rubble, rubble, rubble. Huh. And uh, most of the uh, the loading dock was okay, clear, and uh, made a delivery upstairs and then uh, took my way out. But they let me right in, you know. They didn't inspect the van or anything. Just uh, Well, that's quick, a good uh, Hello, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great to know. Joe, thank you for that. You. And uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad, you know, nothing untoward happened to you. 800-848-9222. You know, we went out in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey yesterday. We went out to dinner with um, my, my wife's cousins and her her aunt and uncle had a great time and we went to this restaurant and you know when you have a two-year-old those of you that have been parents of a two-year-old I think you know what this is like they don't really sit still and it's one of the reasons that I think a lot of parents turn towards getting um, iPads or some sort of screen for their children because they want a few minutes of peace so um, we've been trying not to do that you know, not we one we don't have an iPad for him, but we've been trying not to make him too screen dependent. But every once in a while, we do kind of you know reach our our limit if we want a few minutes of of peace. So we're at this restaurant, and initially he's okay. He's enjoying eating the ice from my glass. He's uh, enjoying eating some of the bread. But you know, he's a two year old. He doesn't have that big of an appetite. He eats a little bit, and then he wants to run around. We brought um, we brought cars. And we had a coloring book that uh, our our aunt Diane gave him, and he was coloring a little bit, but he gets you know he gets bored and after a few minutes, and he wants to run around. And it's a crowded restaurant, and he wants to sit on the floor of this restaurant and and play cars, pretty much just like we do at home. And obviously, that's impractical. And then I'll chase him around the restaurant a little bit try and bring him back and he just doesn't want to sit still i am curious what folks do who um have a child around this age say two years old without relying on a screen because uh, he, he was okay especially considering he was tired he would sit on my lap he would sit on my wife's lap and um, we didn't ultimately put her phone on to have him watch a show. We, we, but it was challenging. And so, do you just forego going out to dinner once you have a two-year-old if he's with you? Because the other people in our party, obviously, they want to have a long, drawn-out meal. They want to have appetizers and an entree, and and they want to have these lengthy discussions with me while I'm holding a two-year-old that's scrambling all over the place, and they'll, they'll say, uh, oh, so uh, is Trump really going to do blank? And then uh, they're expecting me to give this long explanation and analysis, which I'm happy to give, while I'm holding a flailing two-year-old. So I just wonder what other people do. Do you just leave your child home? And um, I don't know. Is there a way to do that without having them sit still for... 15 or 20 minutes at a restaurant at two years old without turning to a screen. Because I've asked other parents of two-year-olds, and they inc- they mostly turn to screens. And usually, and there have been times where I've been out with other couples, and I'll chase Carmine around, and then they'll have their two-year-old at the table playing with an iPad or something. So maybe it's not so bad. My friend Frank was telling me that his brother vowed that his child was never going to have an iPad or anything like that. And then they got tired for three or four years of not being able to go out to dinner 
without hiring a babysitter. So they ultimately relented, and when they go to a restaurant, they have an iPad. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what people do. I've I've looked it up, and I'm yet to see something that really works. I, again, I don't want to overstate the issue. He's not a terror. He's not throwing things all over the place. But he just doesn't want to sit still and listen to a conversation about politics or work or sports or how everything's doing. He wants to run around and play with his cars. So um, maybe it's a question of the setting that we're going to. Oh, and then lastly, I'm holding he, – he's done at the end of this meal. He's ready to go home. So I'm holding him, and I'm carrying him out. And, you know, whenever you travel with a two-year-old, you're always carrying so much stuff. And now we're adding leftovers to that. So I kind of had to go to the bathroom as we're leaving, but I didn't want to stop because I'm holding him. I wanted to go. So we get in the car, and on the way, you know, on the way to our home, I said, you know, I really I w- wish I had stopped and used the men's room at the restaurant, but I kind of have to go. So uh, we stop at a gas station. I don't know why every single gas station, not with the exception of Hess, because I know Hess was always, they prided themselves on this, why every single gas station has the filthiest bathrooms you can imagine. I mean, why is this? And you know what's amazing about that? You could understand if they were open at all times and people just go in there. You need a key to go into the bathroom at a gas station. How can something that's locked that you need a key to go into be so perpetually grotesque? I have yet to see a gas station bathroom again, except has that was in pristine shape. Not even pristine, in decent shape. There's always something wrong. It, it looks gross. There's stuff unflushed. There's water on the floor. There's things missing from the toilet bowl. How can that be when the gas station itself requires a key to go in there? One of life's great mysteries. 800-848-9222 if you've got an answer straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. To the top of the hour, uh, the great Kimberly Kravitz texted me uh, and, sa- and said, Aunt Diane, yes, Aunt Diane came through, the coloring book for young Carmine. 
And uh, quite a people ask, uh, quite a few people asking Kim if uh, we had had you on the radio, and I said no. We're overdue for a visit, but we're lucky enough to have you call in once in a while. That song, uh, Panama by Van Halen, it was today, on this day, in 1904, when the United States and Panama proclaimed a treaty under which the U.S. agreed to undertake efforts to build a ship canal across the Panama Isthmus. Isn't that a great word, isthmus? And uh, just so happens, my sister is in Panama today. She's there this week on uh, vacation. and Or I guess she's working. I don't know what she's doing down there. She's down there. I'm hoping she'll get some of that coffee-slash-tea drink that one of our callers told us about the other day. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Frank. Hey, Frank. So this question uh, I want to talk to you about, and you, you just mentioned a few minutes ago again, you are talking about Flacco the Owl, and you mm-hmm. talked about how, how there were several different stories as to how he originally got out of his cage. One was that the door was left open. Another, that there was vandalism done to the property to create a hole so that he could fly out. So someone wanted him to escape. Wanted, you were saying we don't know what story it is because there's several versions of events they're going around, and you said, I guess this is one of life's mysteries, and you said, joking around, but I don't think it should be one of life's No, mysteries. of course not. There, no, I, I think we, we should know, but this is, gets to the heart of the point that I was calling you that I want to make, is that the media doesn't feel that we, the public, you, me, Matt Blaze, all of us, are, they, they don't embrace the idea that you and I do, and most people do, is that the public has a right to know. That you, you would think that's odd given their job and stuff, but they don't. The media, the people who work in journalism today are different, a different breed. They view us, the public, with utter revulsion and contempt, and they think that we should know what they think we should know. And... Um, they they just don't the media today they're propagandists they're, hmm. they're not even real reporters yeah. and you you can tell that by the the slant that they have on the news and the stories by the things that are mentioned and more importantly by the things that aren't mentioned and this this helps to shape public opinion and many years ago i'm sure you're familiar with the book marshall McLuhan, you know wrote a book right about the medium is the message the Right. That's exactly right. That's the name of the book. And so th- this is nothing new, but it's it's more severe and more pronounced than, than, than nowadays. And there, there was a decision made at the highest levels of many of the media rankings that when President Trump first started running for president, that they were going to abandon their pretense of neutrality, which they admit is a pretense, and that they were going to go all out to try to make hey. sure that Donald Trump didn't get elected. Charlie, well, I got to I got to end it there. There's a lot that I'd like to say um, in response to your filibuster, but uh, I do not have the occasion to say it now. Perhaps I will after the top of the hour. Help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.